wonderful time, eh? To be together, sing, celebrate. Why don't you say, how's it? I see the room has filled up. So that, those younger generation, they're just a bit later. <laughs> they are reading their emails. Their watches just aren't quite as in sync as the older generations. But guys, it's, uh, it's my privilege. Sorry, yeah, keep saying hi. I'm interrupting you. So rude. Sorry, sorry about that. Um, I want to introduce Matt Hosier to you. Uh, you may remember Matt. He was with us what feels like last year, but COVID included probably about four years ago. Uh, Matt and his wife, Grace, joined us, spent some time with our leadership team afterwards. We had a, a lovely lunch together. But Matt leads a church in Pool called Gateway, and uh, he's got four daughters. So, I mean, he's right in here in the mix with us. Uh, well, I have big families. I'm going to have to get some tips from you. I was, uh, you know, my daughters are, what, six and four. We were hanging out with our buddies. They're seven and five. And yesterday they were swimming, and the seven-year-old is like, Rachel, feel my arms. And she was like feeling it and running away. I was like, ah, ah. This is, so I'm going to need all the help I can get. <laughs> I'm looking at you and Kulu. Uh, you guys are going to teach us. But uh, Matt also contributes uh, prolifically to Think Theology, just a brilliant website. I encourage you guys to go check that out. And of course, he's part of our advanced uh, family of churches that we belong to across the world. So Matt, welcome. Make yourself at home. So great to have you here. Let's give him a, a round of applause. Thank you, Donny. It was awesome to be here. It was three years ago that Grace and I were last year here when uh, over in the tent, and so I'm not experiencing the same experience here of, of falling down the slope, so that's good. And exciting to uh, see your plans for your building project. I know those are hugely demanding. We just started a building project in my context. We uh, have two congregations, and uh, we're two buildings, and we just closed down the one venue for to take the whole of this year, so moved everybody to the other venue, got multiple services in the other venue. And I uh, saw so your, your, your price just for the, the main auditorium bit is 1.8 million rand. Uh, ours is 1.85 million pounds. But it's just money in the end. And the Lord, will the Lord will provide. So trusting the Lord will provide for you as he has provided for us. And I look forward to coming back and seeing your new facility. Uh, also, my wife teaches in a boys' high school. And they have a partnership with this school, which is very strange. Uh, the kind of connections around the world. So I took a picture out the front to... She, she can t take in and show the staff in her school. But yeah, super to be with you. Amazing to be here for this weekend. Glad I got the dress code right. <laughs> Trip to Hout Bay yesterday was not wasted <laughs> to get a Hout Bay market shirt. Well, 25 years, well done, Common Ground Church. 25 years of this church faithfully serving. So inspirational to see that video of what the Lord has done here in Cape Town and beyond through the faithfulness of his people in this church over that quarter century. Uh, three years since I was last here at Seaburg, and I know these have been a tough three years. I know you have been through the mill. You've taken a battering in so many ways, and uh, I think that's been true in your experience as a church, some hard things you've been through, and it's true as a nation, and obviously around the world. We've all had some things to wrestle with. I think last year was the toughest year I'd ever experienced in terms of ministry and just life. There seemed to be pressure upon pressure, 
difficulty upon difficulty, so much centered around what was happening with the pandemic, but a whole bunch of other stuff as well, which just made so much of last year incredibly hard. And I know you've got similar stories to tell. And I know that South Africa as well, for all its beauty, is not always an easy place to live in. Uh, I first came here over 30 years ago when I was 18, ended up spending nine months in the southern suburbs. I uh, was with what is now uh, Jubilee Church for that time. And uh, I've always loved coming back here. I love coming back to Cape Town. There are things I kind of want to see, smell, grasp again. Such a beautiful place. But I know this is a tough place to live. Think about that terrible unrest you experienced last July, which was so scary, seeing what was happening in the nation. I know many of you probably feel the sense of personal loss, friends who've left here and are now in my church in the UK rather than being here and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I know that you have not always had it easy. And so my hope this morning is to both commend you for your faithfulness and for what the Lord has done in you over these years and to encourage you that you might be encouraged to press on in faith for the next season, for the next three years, for the next 25 years, for however long it is the Lord calls you and uh, puts breath in your lungs. And to help us do that, I want us to look at the, uh, the seven letters that Jesus spoke to John in the book of Revelation. We're going to look at uh, two of the churches that Jesus speaks to. There are seven letters uh, Jesus speaks to John at the beginning of the book of Revelation to seven churches in uh, what we would now think of as Turkey, that region. And we're going to look at two of these churches, the churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia. And these are two churches which are particularly commended for their faithfulness. And today I want to commend you for your faithfulness and encourage you to further faithfulness in the serving of God. And I think these two churches can help us. So let's read together. Revelation chapter 2, got to read from verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. And then to the church in Philadelphia, Revelation 3, verse 7. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my words and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will I leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, 
Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Common ground, Seaburg, today, have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. These two churches are commended for their faithfulness. Faithfulness is so important, and faithfulness reaps its own reward. Grace and I have been married be 28 years this April. We'll celebrate our 28th wedding anniversary, and faithfulness has done us good. It has reaped its own reward. We've received the blessing of, of faithfulness. I, I know that many of you will have similar stories to tell of faithfulness. Many of you probably will have different stories to tell as well. Many of you will have experienced not faithfulness from others. You'd have experienced faithlessness from others. Or it might be that you yourself have not always been faithful as perhaps you should have been and have uh, experienced the consequences of that. And what these letters to these two churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia encourage us to do is to see the power, the importance, what faithfulness achieves, what it builds in us personally and corporately as a church. So first thing, let's think about what we know about these cities. Let's just get some context, get our, our bearings. Smyrna is today known as a city of Izmir. It's a place in Turkey where lots of Brits like to go on holiday. It's a, a beautiful place, and it's the only one of the seven churches which are addressed in Revelation. It's the only city which still exists as a, as a functioning city today. It was a it's a bit like Cape Town. There was a big harbor. It was commercially important. And for the context of the day, it was a very big city, 200,000 people at this time in Smyrna, which in the context of the ancient world was huge. Had the largest theater in Asia. It was a very sophisticated, very beautiful place. Philadelphia was further inland at the top of a valley which led down to Smyrna and was at the junction of some trade routes. So that meant that Philadelphia was a commercially important place, and this was a place which was particularly noted for being very religious. It had loads and loads of temples and loads and loads of religious festivals. So these are the two cities that we're thinking of, culturally and commercially significant, lots going on, lots of people, lots of life, lots of arts, lots of business, lots of religion. Sounds a lot like Cape Town. Now, we also learned some things about Jesus from the way he speaks it through John to these churches. The book of Revelation is a vision revealed by Jesus to John. And Jesus speaks of himself throughout the book of Revelation. And he makes claims, claims that need to be considered. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, there are claims that Jesus makes here, which I'd encourage you, invite you to consider this morning. And for those of us who do know Jesus, Jesus makes claims here which we need to remind ourselves of, to remind ourselves of who he is, which reminds us of who we are. So Jesus, in these two letters to the churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia, he says that he is the first and the last, the first and the last. This speaks of Christ's eternal existence before all things were, Jesus was. And after all things, Jesus will be, as we get increasing insight into the universe as that new telescope has been launched, which is going to see more and more of the universe, as we see how vast the universe is, as we think about the great stretches of time through which the universe has existed, numbers which boggle our minds and we soon run out of kind of space and capacity to understand it. Jesus Christ transcends it all. He was before it all and he will be there after it all. He is the first and the last. Jesus says that he is the one who died, 
but is now alive. Jesus has overcome the defining barrier of human existence. The reality is that for every one of us, there is this barrier we have to pass through of death. And over this past couple of years, we've been so reminded of the reality, the closeness, the proximity of death. And I know here that amongst this congregation, there are those of you who have experienced the painfulness of death through the pandemic. Jesus says that he's the one who did die, but he has crushed that barrier, and he now lives. And so as Christians, we have this great hope that we in Christ also will overcome that final barrier of death, that the final barrier of death will not be final for us, but that as Christ lives, we will live in him. Hallelujah. Jesus says that he is the one who is holy and true, that he is divine, he is Lord, he is God, and he is the one who sets, sets a standard. He's holy, he is true. Everyone has a standard by which they conduct their life, a standard by which they live. Jesus is the true standard. He's the gold standard. He's the model. He's the perfect one. He's holy and true. And Jesus says that he's the one who holds the key. And this means that he has authority over the house of God. Without a key, you can't do anything. With all your security systems you have to have here in SA, you know what it's like. If you ever left the house without your key or if your, the little button thing on your key fob stopped working and you, you can't get, you suddenly lose authority. You might own the house, you live in the house, but if you haven't got the key functioning, if you can't open that gate, you can't get in, your authority counts for nothing. Without the key, you can't get access. And Jesus says he's the one who holds the key. And in saying this, Jesus is, is reaching back to a prophecy in Isaiah. We've already heard from Isaiah this morning, Isaiah 22, it says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And Jesus takes that prophecy from Isaiah and he applies it, says, this is who I am. I'm the one who holds the key. Doors I shut can't, can't be unlocked. Doors I open can't be shut. And so if you're a Christian, Remember who you are. So we're celebrating 25 years of common ground, remembering what common ground is, what the Lord has accomplished. Remember who you are if you're a Christian. You, you are one who is following the one who is first and last. You are following the one who died but now lives. You're living your life following the one who is the standard, the ultimate standard, the one who is holy and true. And you are held by the one who holds all authority, the one who has the key. So... How can we be faithful? Faithfulness is hard. We can be faithful because Jesus is the one who is faithful. He's faithful through death, beyond death. He's faithful before and after all things. He's faithful in the authority that he holds. He's faithful because he is the ultimate standard. So we can be faithful because we're following after him who is faithful. Remember who Jesus is so you might remember who you are. Next thing to see is what we can learn about these two churches. The church in Smyrna, it says, was afflicted and poor, yet rich. And what we see here is that wealth is measured differently in the kingdom of God from how we would measure it humanly. Sometimes we talk about people and talk about how much that person is worth. And that's actually a terrible phrase because it speaks just about material value, whereas, of course, as human beings, we're so much more precious than just 
what we possess materially. There's a story this week, you might have seen the business news about how poor Mark Zuckerberg, boss of Meta, owners of Facebook, how he suffered a financial catastrophe this year. His personal wealth fell by $31 billion this week. $31 billion. It's equivalent to the gross domestic product of Estonia. The whole nation just wiped off Mark Zuckerberg's personal wealth. But don't feel too sorry for him because even after that, he's still worth $90 billion. He can get by. But of course, that is a terrible way to describe somebody. It's not your worth isn't what you financially possess. Your worth is as someone who is made in the image of God and precious to him. And Jesus says to these people in Smyrna who were financially poor, he says they are rich because they know him. They know him who is first and last. They know him who died and now lives. They know him who is holy and true. They know him who holds the key. Jesus is the treasure. And so this church was suffering, struggling, and yet Jesus says to them, you've got these riches. Don't forget that. And he warns them they're going to experience hard times. He says there's going to be suffering. Some are even going to suffer to death. And Smyrna was a city which, which was exceptionally loyal to the Roman Empire. And this was a city where it was hard to be a Christian. It was hard to worship Jesus because there was a lot of hostility to that in this city. And Smyrna in Christian history is famous for a particular martyrdom, Polycarp, a famous martyrdom, an early Christian believer in the second century who died for his faith. There's an account of his martyrdom. This is what it says. As Polycarp was being taken into the arena in Smyrna, a voice came to him from heaven, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one saw who had spoken, but our brothers who were there heard the voice. When the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. The proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp. On hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to apostatize, to deny Christ, saying, Have respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, Down with the atheists. The Romans thought the Christians were the atheists and said, Down with the atheists. Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked heathen multitude in the stadium and gesturing towards them, he said, Down with the atheists. Swear, urged the proconsul, reproach Christ and I will set you free. And this is a famous phrase of Polycarp's. Eighty-six years have I served him, Polycarp declared, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Now, 25 years common ground has existed and you've been through some hard times as well as some glorious times, but the Lord has done you no wrong. The Lord will do you no wrong. And if you live to 86 or 96 or 106, stay faithful to Jesus. Treasure the riches that you have in him because Christ has triumphed even over death. And even though Polycarp and others in Smyrna gave their lives for the sake of Christ, in Christ they lived. They were faithful even to death. Jesus knows that they're afflicted. He knows that they're poor. It would have been hard for them to make a living. They would have been shut out of business in this environment because they were Christians. And Jesus says they're going to suffer for, for 10 days. Now that's a, a reference to the prophecy, the book of, of Daniel. It refers to a prolonged but a limited period. When in the book of Daniel, we read the story about Daniel and his friends who were taken as captives from Jerusalem to Babylon. And 
taken to serve the king. And they were going to be given special food to eat in preparation to serve the king. And this is what it says in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel says, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal foods. Now, what's that about? It's, it's not just a story about the health benefits of becoming a vegan. <laughs> Sometimes people talk about the Daniel diet. So I'm going to go on the Daniel diet. January, going to go on the Daniel diet. Just eat nothing but vegetables and water for a month. Get my health sorted out. Well, there might be some health benefits in doing that, but this isn't about Daniel going on a diet. It's not about Daniel adopting a vegan lifestyle. What this is about is about Daniel and his friends' refusal to compromise with idolatry. There is something about what they were being asked to participate in, something about what they are asked even to eat, which would have made them participants in false worship, rather than worship of the living God. And they've been taken from Jerusalem, the city where God dwells, and carried to the pagan city of Babylon, but they're still going to live as followers of Christ. They're going to stay as faithful followers of the Lord of Yahweh. And so they say, we're not going to eat this idol food. We're going to test us. Let us do it differently and see if our God sustains us. And he does. They've been transformed. They're not idolaters. They're worshippers of the living God. They've stayed faithful. And so Jesus says to these suffering Christians in Smyrna, be like Daniel. Stay faithful. Even if some of you are going to die, like Polycarp did, because of your faith, stay faithful, stay faithful, stay faithful. Common ground church. Whatever afflictions, difficulties come, stay faithful. We also learn some things from the church in Philadelphia. Jesus says that this is a church which seems to be weak. It's small, we think, in numbers. There weren't many believers in Philadelphia, but they received special commendation from the Lord. He says to them, they've got an open door. There's an open door to mission, to ministry, to effective work. Philadelphia was a, a gateway city. It was the top of the valley. It was center of trade routes. And the Lord says, there's a gateway which is opening for effective mission for you. There's going to be a turning. You're small in number now, but there's going to be many people who turn in faith and become part of this community who fall down at your feet, who we will come to recognize the truth of what you have been saying, the truth of him in whom you believe. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, is going to see Christ's love for his church. Common Ground Church, Seaburg, hold on to this hope that through you, others will see the love of Christ. That in this place, the love of Christ will be displayed through you. And even those who at the moment might be hostile to the word of Christ will fall on their knees and see the truth of the love of God. Something we learn from both these churches, something which Jesus says to both these churches, he talks about how they're living in a place which is like the synagogue of Satan. And that there are those in these cities who claim to be Jews but are not true Jews. Now when we read something like that in the Bible, we, we have to be careful, especially because of our history, the history of the past century, where there's been so much appalling 
anti-Semitism, and we need to be very careful to see there mustn't be a hint of anti-Semitism in our attitude or in how we interpret this scripture. What we see here is that there are those who are Jewish in these cities who belong to God's chosen people, and yet were denying what God was doing through Jesus Christ and were inciting the authorities against the Christians. And so Jesus says here in the book of Revelation through John that although these people are Jews ethnically, culturally, religiously, they're in effect, they're denying their Jewishness because they're denying Christ. They're denying who they really are as God's people because they're denying God's Messiah. The Apostle Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 2 where he says a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor a circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. The true people of God are not a particular ethnic group, but are those who have followed God's true Messiah. That's true. That was true in Smyrna. It was true in Philadelphia. It's true in Cape Town. It's true in my hometown. It's true for each one of us, whatever our genetic, cultural, ethnic background might be. If you follow God's Messiah, if you follow Jesus faithfully, you are a true member of the people of God. That's such good news for us. Such good news for the world. It's such good news for us in a world which so often is so divided and where there is so much ethnic tension. And I know the things you've had to wrestle through here, particularly with with some of the cultural and ethnic and racial stuff that's going on. Of course, the history here in South Africa, which is so complex and involves so much pain. And yet we look at Jesus and all of us, whatever our skin shade, whatever our ethnic background, whatever our DNA might reveal about us, we come together and say, we come to Jesus, the Lord's Messiah, and in him we find our true identity. In him we find who we really are. We, in him we become the people of God. And so, Common Ground Church, Seaburg, remember who you are. You are the people of God. You belong to him, the faithful one who calls you to faithfulness. Now, next thing, what will faithfulness result in? Faithfulness is costly. To be faithful does cost us something. It often costs us in terms of personal comfort and our personal preferences and our own desires to do what you're seeking to do with your building project is going to be costly. I know for me back home it's been costly as I've sought to lead our church into the building project we've done. I've had to kind of count the cost myself, especially as a leader within the church. You can't ask others to follow where you're not prepared to lead yourself. And so Grace and I are sitting down and looking at our budgets and our finances and our lifestyle and thinking, what does this mean? What is the cost for us personally? And sometimes that feels very costly, but why would we do that? Why, why do we pay the cost as Christians? There are things here that Jesus promises these churches, which he promises us. He says you're going to get a victor's crown. Stay faithful and get a victor's crown. Now, I don't know about you, but when you first read that, I'm, I kind of think, I'm not sure that's an entirely fair trade. He's saying to these churches and say to us, this is going to cost you. Being faithful to me is going to cost you. In Smyrna, some of you are going to die if you stay faithful to me. Faithfulness is going to mean your lives. And then he says, but you're going to get a crown. 
And of course, the imagery is of the games that would happen in the ancient world. And the victor at the games would get a crown which would be made of leaves. And I'm not sure that's a fair trade. It's going to cost. It's going to cost a lot. It might even cost your life. But you're going to get a crown. You're going to get some leaves. Of course, what Jesus is saying is much more than a crown of leaves. We've got to see the symbolism here. What, what a crown represents is glory, honor, authority, majesty. When the Queen of England puts on that massive crown with all the diamonds that we stole from South Africa in it. <laughs> it's a sign of glory, of majesty, of authority, of power. What Jesus promises is immortality. You're going to get life, the crown of life. And so for these poor suffering believers in Smyrna and Philadelphia, with all they're facing, this is a, a great promise, a great hope for them. You're, there's a cost you're paying because of your faithfulness, but what you're going to get is life. And we need to remember that. That's a promise to us, a crown of life. He says you'll get victory in the second death. When the judgment that comes will come against all people, when the verdict is pronounced, there's going to be a verdict from God over his people which says, mine, free, redeemed, blessed, honored, come and share in my inheritance. That's going to be the verdict that's pronounced over God's people. Jesus says that you'll become pillars in the temple. Pillar speaks again about honor. We sometimes talk about people being a pillar of society. The Lord Jesus says that his faithful people will be pillars in his house. There's going to be an authority, a dignity, an honor, which is ours, a, a strength, a reputation, which will be ours eternally. And he says we're going to get a new name. Now, again, we might say, well, I'm not sure about that. I'm quite happy with the name I've got. I quite like my name. But it, again, it's about honor. It's about recognition. It's about belonging. We're going to get a name in Christ which identifies us as belonging to him. Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, I will write on the name of the, my God and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem. This is a quotation from the prophecy of Ezekiel. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah and Daniel. And here from Ezekiel, he says that in Ezekiel 48, it says the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there. And here in Revelation, Jesus speaks to the church in Philadelphia. And in speaking to the church in Philadelphia, he speaks to the church here in Seaburg this morning and says, if you're faithful to me, you're going to get this name. Your name will be the Lord is there. Faithful ones belonging to Christ. What a name. What a name for this church. What defines this church? The Lord is here. The Lord is here. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for people in this community, in this city, to look at you and say, what is it about these people? The Lord is there. The Lord is there. For 25 years, the Lord has been there. Let's believe for more years and for an eternity of the Lord declaring his new name written on you. The Christians in Smyrna and Philadelphia and in Cape Town and in Paul and Bournemouth and to the ends of the earth, will receive their reward. And so we need to apply this to ourselves. It says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, don't be afraid. You know, that, that command is the most common, it's the most frequent command in Scripture. The most frequent command given in Scripture is do not be afraid. We've been through some really scary times 
you've been through some scary times. There have been so many people who have been so terrified. So many people in my society, my culture, my community have just been terrified. And the things you've had to deal with here, understandably, people have been afraid. But the Lord says, do not be afraid. Even when there's lots to be afraid of, do not fear, but be faithful. Share in all that Christ has for you. Victory, life, crowns, pillars, a new name. All your hours in Christ because he's been faithful to us eternally. God isn't done with you yet. There's a great prize that awaits you. There's great work to be done right now. There's a great king, a great savior to preach, to declare, to share with our friends and our neighbors. There's great reward for us in our faithfulness to him because he's been faithful to us. Hallelujah. Would you stand and let's pray together. King Jesus, thank you for your amazing faithfulness to this church over the past quarter century. Lord, I pray for any individual here this morning who themselves personally is, struggles with this theme of faithfulness. Lord I, Lord, I pray for those in this room who have been victims of the faithlessness of others. That even right now, Holy Spirit, you would come and minister to them something of your faithfulness. The healing grace of a faithful God. Lord, I pray for those in this room who themselves struggle to be faithful, that you would come and if there's repentance that is needed by your grace, you'd convict and gently work that in people's hearts. And Lord, if people are struggling to, any individuals here struggling to faithfully follow you, faithfully hold on to what you've entrusted to them, I ask Holy Spirit, you'd come and work in their hearts even now so they respond to you faithful servants of the faithful God and Lord I pray for us corporately, I pray for this body of believers here at Seaburg, I pray for a 